reaching Israel and the world. Welcome to today's amazing program. I am Cynthia, Rabbi Schneider's wife, and I'm so thankful you've chosen to join us. I pray God touches you through Rabbi's words. God bless you and shalom, beloved ones. My name is Messianic Rabbi K.A. Schneider. Welcome today to this episode of Discovering the Jewish Jesus, where I'm continuing in a series that I'm calling Isaiah and messianic prophecy. What we're doing is we're looking into the Word of God and I'm teaching how rich the Old Testament is with messianic prophecy. Now on last week's broadcast, I began to look with you in the Hebrew Bible, in what we call in Judaism the Tanakh, or in Christianity the Old Testament. We looked into the Old Testament and we saw that God had a divine call on Israel's life. We proceeded last week by showing that Israel as a nation did not fully fulfill her calling. However, we pointed out that Israel has a divine representative. They have a head. And the head of Israel is none other than King Jesus himself that died with the sign above his head that said, Yeshua of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And so in order to understand messianic prophecy, we have to understand that the, the declarations that God made over the nation of Israel, although not fully fulfilled by the nation, are fulfilled in the head of the nation, King Jesus himself. It's important because in some nuances of messianic prophecy, we see, for example, Matthew taking scriptures that God spoke about Israel and applying them to Jesus. And if we don't understand what's going on, we'll scratch our head and wonder. Let me give you an example of this. I'm going to take you now to the New Testament. We're going to be looking at the book of Matthew, chapter number 2, verses number 13 through 15. Hear the word of God. Now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Now, let me set the context here. Joseph and Mary had just given birth to their son, Jesus. As soon as Jesus was born, Herod was warned that a king had been born, that a Messiah had been born, and he was threatened. Just as has happened, the same thing happened when Moses was born. Remember when Moses was born, Pharaoh panicked. He heard from the wise men and the magicians that uh, a king had been born. And so he ordered the death of the, first, of, of the newborn Hebrew children. Same thing is happening when Jesus is born. Why? Because listen, Jesus repeats the patterns in Israel's history because Jesus is Israel's divine head. And so the same patterns that Israel as a nation went through, we see Jesus living out in his life because he encompasses the nation. And so once again, even as Pharaoh ordered the death of the firstborn when Moses was born, the same thing is happening now when Jesus is born, Herod the king is ordering the death of the newborn Hebrew children. So it's in that context that we're reading. Let's look again at the scripture. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. 
So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now listen once again. Matthew was writing, This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And then Matthew quotes this section from the Hebrew Bible. Out of Egypt I called my son. So I want you to pause with me for a second. Jesus is taken to Egypt to avoid the, uh, the slaughter of the newborn Hebrew children just as, ha as it happened when Moses was born because Jesus is repeating Israel's history. And now when that king, when Herod had died, when that king had died, what happens is the angel comes back to Joseph and appears to him and says, I want you to take the child back to Israel now to fulfill, listen now, to fulfill what the prophet has spoken, and then he quotes the Hebrew prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Now, before we look at what section of scripture Matthew is quoting here when he says that the words of the prophet would be fulfilled, out of Egypt did I call my son, before we look at what portion in the Hebrew Bible Matthew quoted, I want to share this with you. When you and I think about prophecy, because remember, Matthew is saying he fulfilled the word of the prophecy here. When you and I generally think about prophecy, we're thinking about predictions, that there was a prediction made in the Old Testament that was fulfilled or will be fulfilled in the future. So generally speaking, when we think of prophecy, we think about a declaration being made that, listen, accurately foretells the future, a prophecy about the future. So, for example, in the book of Daniel, we hear Daniel giving all these prophecies about the end times, what it's going to be like on planet Earth during the end. Daniel said, I saw in a vision, and he said, and people were traveling to and fro, and knowledge had greatly increased. So Daniel was looking into the future, and he says, at the end of days, I see this happening. And sure enough, Daniel's prophecy is being fulfilled right now, all these years later, as people are traveling to and fro by airplane, and we're in the age of information technology. Knowledge has vastly increased all over the earth. Daniel t talks about certain kings arising, these kings that will arise, world powers in the end times. So when we look at the prophecies of Daniel, we're looking for clues as to what's going to happen in the future. But what is interesting and mysterious is that Daniel uses prophecies in a completely different way. Rather than Daniel pulling, rather, than, rather Matthew, rather than Matthew pulling out sections of scripture and showing how Jesus fulfilled the future prediction of that future, instead what Matthew does is he takes Israel's history he shows us how Jesus relived that history, and in reliving Israel's history, listen now, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy. So the point that I'm making is that Matthew uses the word fulfilled, that a prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus. Matthew uses that word many, many times, not to indicate that somebody in the Hebrew Bible predicted a future event, and Jesus fulfilled it, but rather what Matthew does oftentimes is show us how Jesus fulfilled something that God did in ancient Israel by repeating the pattern. So for example, once again, the scripture we just looked at, Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, out of Egypt did I call my son. Joseph took Jesus back into Israel from Egypt 
where Jesus was kept in custody until Herod passed away. Now, where is this scripture out of Egypt that I call my son taken from? It's taken from the book of Isaiah, uh, Hosea. And when we look into the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, here's what we read. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and here we go, and out of Egypt I called my son. So when we go to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, and see how Matthew used it, took it out of Hosea 11.1 1, to say Jesus fulfilled it. The puzzling thing is that when we go to Hosea and we read that, we say to ourselves, well, that doesn't look like a prophecy because it doesn't look like Hosea is telling us that something is going to be happening in the future. It doesn't look like Hosea is prophesying a future prediction of what's going to happen. Instead, when we go to Hosea 11.1, 1, it just reads, when Israel was a youth, I loved them. Out of Egypt, I called my son. God is just speaking to Israel's past. It doesn't appear that God is predicting anything about Israel's future. And yet Matthew's saying that Jesus fulfilled it. How did Jesus fulfill it? Jesus fulfilled it church beloved ones, because Jesus is Israel's divine representative and the history that Israel went through is climaxed or all summed up or comes to its head in Jesus. Now this is why when we go to the book of Luke chapter 24, we find something taking place that really is a bit mysterious to us. What we find beloved ones church in Luke 24 is this, Jesus' disciples were totally downcast. All they knew was that this one that they had left everything to follow, King Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, all they knew for sure was that he had been crucified. They got the report from Mary and the women that he had appeared to them, but, but they didn't know for sure. So they're walking on a road to Emmaus, a city about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And once again, we have to put ourselves in these disciples' place as we go to Luke 24. They really are confused. I mean, they don't know what happened. They thought Jesus was going to lead Israel into freedom. Remember, even though the Jews were living in the land of Israel at the time of Jesus, they were still under, politically, the Roman people. So the Jewish people thought that the Messiah would free them from the Roman tyranny. And now Jesus had died. It hadn't happened. They didn't know what to think of it. They thought maybe that the, the thing that they believed was not true. So they're walking on the road to Emmaus in this mental state of confusion and discouragement. And as they're walking on the road, Jesus appears to them. But when Jesus appeared to them, he appeared to them in a physical form that they didn't recognize. In other words, he looked physically different to them than he looked to them when he was on earth with them. We have to remember, Jesus is God in the flesh, so he can change forms, right? God is very fluid. We think, for example, the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, he appeared as a tongue of fire. When Jesus was baptized, he appeared as a dove. Uh, uh, we see a rainbow around uh, the, the, the glory of the Lord when Ezekiel saw him. So God can appear any way he wants to. So it shouldn't be hard for us to imagine and understand that Jesus is able to appear to each one of us in whatever form he desires. So Jesus appears to these disciples of his as they're walking on the road to Emmaus in a form, a physical form that was to them just appeared that it was a stranger. And let's pick up now what happens as I begin to read 
from Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 25. Jesus comes up to me, he said, he says to them after, you know, they were discouraged and speaking, you know, all this discouragement about everything. Jesus says this to him, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. Then continuing in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And so in order for these apostles, these disciples to understand what was in the Old Testament about the Messiah, about the Christ, about Yeshua, about Jesus, in order for them to see it, listen, they had to supernaturally have their minds opened to come into a bigger space of understanding that they had previously been in. Remember, most Jews missed the Messiah's first coming because their understanding of messianic prophecy was very limited. And so what I've just shown you is that we need to understand messianic prophecy, not just in the sense of looking for something that a prophet predicted would happen in the future to happen, but we also need to understand messianic prophecy as being fulfilled in Jesus because Jesus, listen now, completes Israel's history by living out the same patterns. And so knowing that now, I want to begin to move towards the book of Isaiah. I want you just to close your eyes and look to heaven. Lift up your hands to heaven. And I want you to say to Jesus, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. I turn to you right now. Something surprises me about Rabbi's ministry when it comes to souls that are getting saved. You see how they come sprinting, not running, but sprinting to come and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. One of the primary reasons, beloved, that we're traveling the world is to preach the simple gospel of salvation. Primarily, the foundational truth of salvation is that Jesus forgives our sin. And wherever we go, we make sure that at every service, we preach the gospel in a simple form that they can understand. And we invite people that have never invited Jesus into their hearts before we give them an invitation to receive Jesus into their lives and to ask him to forgive them for their sin. You've never asked him to forgive you for your sins and to save you. And tonight, you're ready to turn your life over to him. If that's you, would you raise your hand tonight? Friends, the greatest fulfillment we could ever have is for God to use us in leading someone to Jesus. What a joy it was for us to receive this testimony. I was a witch for all my life. I became one because of abuse from my father and mother. I got tired of it and ran away from home at the age of 14. 
I started using drugs and alcohol and I paid for it by being a male prostitute. I did this for 32 years. I gave my life to Jesus Christ just three days ago and you were the reason I did. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for this man. And I ask that if there is anyone watching right now that needs your son, that you would open their hearts to receive him as their hope and salvation. Reveal yourself in spirit and in truth. Amen. What an awesome God we serve. Is the Lord leading you to help Rabbi Schneider around the world? From teaching pastors and evangelism to large crowds in Africa, South America, the Caribbean and more, to preaching and ministering to God's chosen people in Israel, and a dynamic television ministry, Discovering the Jewish Jesus is reaching the world for Christ. With your support, you'll help send Rabbi to deliver the truth of God's Word to people who may never hear unless you send him. Visit DiscoveringTheJewishJesus.com or call 800-777-7835 to confirm your part in helping Rabbi build up believers in their faith and change lives all over the world. As we begin to contemplate Isaiah and Messianic prophecy in the book of Isaiah, I want you to understand who Isaiah was. First of all, Isaiah, as we know, is a prophet. A prophet is a spokesman for God. In the ancient biblical world, the nation of Israel was ruled by a hierarchy. And the hierarchy was the king, the prophets, and the priest. Now we know about the king. Israel cried out for a king. Eventually God gave them a king. We know David was one of the kings. So Israel was ruled by the kings, the prophets who were God's spokesmen, and the priest that mediated between the nation of Israel and God, primarily through sacrifices and worship. Isaiah was a unique prophet because many of the prophets, they would cry out in the streets and they were really radicals, or Isaiah was more sophisticated. He was a statesman. Isaiah actually was living in a very a noble place and he served, listen now, under four different kings. The king that Isaiah first started under and the king that was in kingship when Isaiah got his call to be a prophet was King Uzziah. And we actually read about it in scripture in the sixth chapter of Isaiah's prophetic work. I want to take you there now because this is really a very powerful portion of the word of God, how Isaiah encountered Father God in his power and in his glory. Listen to this section of scripture. Isaiah chapter six, verses number one through nine. Isaiah's recording. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of the host. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, Yahweh of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with the burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, 
This has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And here's Isaiah's call. Then I said, Here I am, send me. So after Isaiah has this incredible power encounter with Yahweh, the God of Israel, the Lord says to him, Whom shall I send? And Isaiah responds, Here I am, send me. When Isaiah received this call, once again, I want you to understand, he was different than many of the other prophets. He was a statesman, and he was a scholar. He was very unique, and his prophetic work, the book of Isaiah, is the longest prophetic work in the entire Word of God in terms of the works of the prophets. Sixty-six chapters in the book of Isaiah. The first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah deal much about God's judgment of the nations and judgment of Israel. The last 27 chapters deal primarily with the Messiah, what he's going to look like, who he's going to be, where he's going to come from, what's his ministry going to be like, and the institution of the messianic age, what will happen on earth when Messiah fully exerts his lordship over the world. So what we're going to do, beloved ones, as we continue in this series next week, is we're going to dig down deep into the book of Isaiah. You're going to be fascinated by what you're seeing. Many of the scriptures that you've heard before that have kind of rolled off your back like water off a duck's back, they're going to hit your heart. And I'm telling you, you're going to go deeply grounded into scripture because of this series. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God abides forever. Even some of the scriptures, for example, that you have, you know, just think about during Christmas, like unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You're going to see how many of these scriptures that you're familiar with actually come from Isaiah. And when you see them quoted again in the New Testament, you're going to be once again so rooted in the fact that Jesus is the Christ he is the only way to God, and it's going to help you, listen now, to be a bolder witness. Because when you and I are marked by God, we become bold. And oftentimes the reason people are not bold in their witness of Jesus is because, listen now, they're not fully convinced. They're not fully marked. But as I said to you earlier, beloved, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I promise you this, next week, God's Word is going to go deep into your heart, slice it open by His divine electricity, and you're going to become more excited about Jesus and more confident in who He is than ever before. You see, when you are able to put together the Old and New Testaments like a hand and a glove, you're going to be fully equipped to go forward in your faith in spirit listen, in truth, and in power. That's why I'm here. This is why the Lord has raised me up for such a time as this, to equip the church to understand the Jewish roots of our Christian faith. Because remember, Jesus said to the woman of Samaria, woman, salvation is from the Jews. So Father, we just ask you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation as we look deeply into your word in the weeks ahead. And I pray, Father, that in Messiah, Jew and Gentile will become one as we see that Jesus is the theme of Scripture from the very beginning of the Word of God to the very end of the Word of God. Father, we just want to tell you thank you for Jesus. We love you today. And I speak this, Father, on behalf of all those that love you. God bless you, beloved ones. And shalom.
Isn't it true about all of us? We love to hear about what we like. In other words, we love hearing about the things that we already like, but the things that we don't like, we don't want to hear about it. Well, the reason I'm bringing that up is that sometimes God's people don't like hearing about finances because they don't want to surrender their finances to the Lord. But beloved ones, it's really important because when we surrender our finances, what we're really doing is surrendering our heart and affections. That's why Jesus said, man can't love both God and money. We've got to put him first. Some people say that giving financially, tithing, was just something that was in the Old Testament. But in the seventh chapter of the book of Hebrews, we see Abraham come to Melchizedek, the high priest, who is a type of Christ. And when Abraham met Melchizedek, what did Abraham do? He offered up to God through Melchizedek a tenth of all he had. I just want to encourage you today. Let's surrender our whole lives to the Lord, which involves every area, even our finances. Beloved ones, if you're not tithing somewhere, would you tie to the Lord through discovering the Jewish Jesus? I want to tell you, you'll be blessed and many souls will be saved. Here's how you can donate or become a monthly partner. Send your tax-deductible gift to Discovering the Jewish Jesus, P.O. Box 777, Blissfield, Michigan, 49228. Give by credit card at discoveringthejewishjesus.com. Call 1-800-777-7835 or text the keyword rabbi to 45777. To show our appreciation, we'll send you an audio CD and download of Rabbi's Message of the Month and our most recent newsletter. Your gift is bringing salvation, healing, and deliverance to Israel and the world through television, internet, and crusade outreaches. Finally, many of us have been faithful to the Lord with our finances while living. For those of you who like to remember the Lord in your finances when you go to heaven, click Will and Estate Gifts at discoveringthejewishjesus.com. In the book of Numbers, chapter 6, the Lord told Moses and Aaron, Speak these words over my people, and I will place my name upon them and bless them. Yahweh <laughs> Vihunecha Yisayaweh Penavelecha Veasem Lecha May Father God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord your Father lift you up by his countenance. And Father God is going to continue, his beloved child, to give you his peace. Revelation today for a brighter tomorrow. Find Discovering the Jewish Jesus on all your favorite social media outlets and stay up to date on the content you love. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. Connecting with Discovering the Jewish Jesus has never been easier. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. 
Let our prayer team pray for you. Send us your prayer request today by visiting our website or writing to the address on the screen. Our prayer team lifts up every individual request before the Lord. And then, as God answers your prayer request, or if God has touched your life through discovering the Jewish Jesus, send us your testimony. We want to rejoice with you, and your testimony will encourage others. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Next time on Discovering the Jewish Jesus, Rabbi shares how Isaiah not only prophesied when and how the Messiah would appear, but where he would spend his earthly ministry.